and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. And Pastor Packer is Church of uh, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Indiana. Uh, Pastor Packer, I heard a rumor about you. I don't know if this is true or not. I forgot about uh, this. But the rumor is that you shave your beard and your hair the same exact length all the way around your head so that you would be the likeness of the old statues of Cicero. Is that true? Um, that sounds accurate. <laughs> I thought confirmed. Confirmed. <laughs> All right, we're answering your question. We got apparently a bunch of them, but we're going to some of the questions from last video, we're going to let percolate a little bit and take on some new topics today. I think. Well, what one came up on the last video, but it was um kind of a shot at us, I guess. Uh, I'll read it. It's a comment. I can't believe uh, anybody on the internet would not 100% approve of everything that we do. It's shocking, isn't it? Um, I'm thinking about quitting altogether now. You may not be surprised that the name is, it's not their real name and it's, it begins with based, but how do you uh, they know? Say it, I, bet, I baptize base. How do you, how is this child <laughs> to be named? Based. Based. <laughs> um, it's so odd seeing such jovial, I guess that's a bad thing, and well apathetic shepherds. In a time when the once nation spirals into a godless open border, Babylonian synagogue makes you question what would need to happen to make these types actually shepherd. Now, there's a lot um, behind that question, obviously, that I don't we, we don't need to get into probably too much. But my first two thoughts were one. Um, is it wrong to be jovial when there's so many bad things going on in the world? And second, does being jovial mean you're apathetic? What do you think about that? This is really fantastic. So, I mean, I suppose if your joy is based on the state of the United States, and if your hope is in the survival of our nation, then there's a lot of reason for despair. And I suppose in some ways that love for the neighbor would call us to take these things seriously. But here, here's, there's, there's a handful of errors here. Number one is that we think, I think this. I have to constantly remind myself that this is not true, but I think that that seriousness and grumpiness go hand in hand, that I show you my how responsible I'm being and I show you how serious I'm being about things by how angry I am about it. And this is why the, the major um, currency on the internet and social media and the news commentariat is rage. Right. It's if I, I can show you my seriousness by showing you my anger. That is not biblical. There is no there is no connection to responsibility and rage in the Bible. In fact, we're called the other way around to be joyful in all things. Reminding, for example, of the Luther's famous favorite martyrs, Agnes and Agatha, who skipped they were young girls, Agatha maybe 20 to 8, 19 to 22, Agnes even younger, 12 to 14, both were condemned to death, both of, by different pro-councils, different places. They were like 100 years apart. Both of them, the stories say, skipped as they left the pro-council. Like, like, you know, like when you get so excited, you can't, oh, that's, so they couldn't even walk out of the courtroom. They skipped out of the courtroom, filled with joy, because they were going to see Jesus. And one, Agnes, was skipping to the flames where she was burned to death. 
Agatha was skipping to court where she would be mutilated. I mean, to, to the to jail where she would be mutilated and then and then later killed. Both of them, it says, skipped as if they were going to a wedding because they were. And Luther picks up on this old line from Thomas Aquinas talking about the martyrs and the devil. And he says, the line in the hymn says, unknowingly, they lead us to bliss. So the world is always trying to torture and torment us. But the point is it can't because the, the, the closer we get to death, the closer we get to Jesus. So because we have hope reaching out ahead of us for an eternal life and a kingdom that has that has no need of borders <laughs> that is the new heaven and the new earth where the righteous dwell because that's on the way then we sing take they our life goods fame child and wife let these all be gone they yet have nothing want so the persecution increases joy and thankfulness in Christ for the gifts that we've given the the, the devil is always trying through affliction whatever it is, out, outside and inside. He's trying to attack our joy. But we know that joy, we, we, we rejoice in tribulation. This is how Paul says it, because tribulation produces patience and patience produces character, and character produces hope, and hope doesn't disappoint us. So the very a attempt of the devil to destroy hope actually increases hope in us. So that Christians, as we see the world falling apart, are marked by hopefulness. Here's, a, here's another picture from Luther. This is a really... I think this one preaches well, is that you, you have to imagine that you're in a dungeon of a castle, and the castle's being bombarded. The, the, the stones are hitting the walls, and the, the, the whole thing is shaking, and the walls are, it looks like, going to crumble, and the dust is coming from the roof. And, and this, you're in the basement of a bombarded castle, and you think, whoa, this is horrible, until you realize that the, that the army outside is led by your father, who's bombarding the castle to rescue you. So now every crash against the wall is reminding us that, that our freedom is on the way. So when we see all the world falling apart, we, uh, Jesus gives us instruction, look up because your, your Redeemer is coming. Now, this doesn't mean we give up loving our neighbor and trying to make things better, but we don't do it with a grumpiness or a thanklessness. We cannot be thankful. In fact, when Paul is looking at the condition of Rome in Romans chapter 1, and he sees all this idolatry, all this paganism, he sees all of this, the, the destruction of the family, the destruction of marriage. He, he, men give up the use of the women for the unnatural use of the men so that culture is captured by, by, uh, by the depravity of homosexuality. And women, same way, when he, and he's looking at culture, and he says, How, where did this come from? Like, what was upstream? And he says, there's two things. They didn't acknowledge God. They didn't give glory to God as God. They didn't recognize God as the creator, nor did they give thanks. So that thanklessness is upstream from the collapse of culture. So if you're worried about the collapse of culture and you're mad at us for being joyful, you don't, that, that's the, these two things go together. Our joyfulness, our hopefulness, and our thankfulness are in fact what holds back the demons. And from completely overriding everything. And if we give up on those things, we've given up on, well, we've given up on, on the love for the neighbor and the kind of extension of that love is, is uh, patriotism and the love for the family and so forth. So, look, we, can't, we, we cannot let that stand, that idea that, that, that joy is a mark of apathy. 
I you that is false teaching. And we I don't Have you ever met an apathetic person who's filled with joy? That's my question. Have you ever met someone who's apathetic like in life who's actually filled with joy? Is that possible? I don't think it's possible. I, I think to say that you're jovial and apathetic is kind of weird because it's not as if like we're uh, fiddling while Rome is burning, like looking at it and saying, oh, who cares? But perhaps they're upset too. Maybe maybe we don't talk about the right things. Maybe right. they don't think discussions of women's ordination is as important as talking about some kind of political issue that's going on. Um, you know, I, I've talked about this with a lot of people I talk about with my congregation all the time. Like if we were more focused on like the areas that we could actually do something about like the places where we live, our church, our neighborhoods, our cities, our counties, et cetera. And we poured ourselves into those, then that's going to be better than constantly worrying and watching the news about things that are going on that I have no control over. One of my, High, high schoolers here, I was taking questions from the kids of the high school class this Sunday, and they asked what I thought of some of the cons- you know conspiracy theories. And one of my questions to them was, even if these conspiracy theories were true, what could you do about it? Like, how, how's it going to impact you? Like, let's say those things you mentioned are true. How does that change your life today? And the answer, of course, was it didn't because there's nothing they could do about it. And I said, so even if they were true, which... I don't think they were the ones, you know, most of them that are out there aren't, but um, even if they were true, why, why would you let that control your life when you right. could actually do something and you could do it with joy because you know, Jesus wins. Like that's my approach to everything is Jesus wins. Like that's how I approach evangelism. That's how I approach pastoring. Like I know Jesus has defeated death. He's defeated hell. He's defeated the devil. So why, why do I need to go around depressed about um, getting God's word out or talking about theology or looking at the state of the country, I can be sad about it and I can be broken hard about it, but I don't have to let that influence every waking moment of my life. Um, that seems to, like you said, that's, that's sinful. It's a rejection of the good things God still gives us, even in the midst of a crumbling Babylon. And um, it's interesting because they capitalized nation. Um, uh, the kingdom I'm most concerned about is the kingdom of Christ. Um, the United States could fall tomorrow and that's, that still can't take our joy, right? Isn't that what Jesus tells us? <laughs> that's right. Like, I mean, we don't want that because I'll tell you, especially these other, the, the, the Christian churches in other places in the world, I, I'm interested in fighting for the United States because of the, the Lutherans in Madagascar and the Lutherans in Australia and the Lutherans in in Japan and uh, the, because in some ways the faithful around the world like look to the United States as, and even to the Missouri Synod for like hope like you can be a church that confesses the scriptures and so if if the United States that's going to be I mean it, it's going to be tough times but you're, this is the point is that look that's a form of love for the neighbor but. We love the neighbor that the Lord has given us, and we, we put not our trust in in princes. And there's there's two there's kind of two different directions we can take the reflection here because the devil there okay there's a there's spiritual warfare that happens when when we are shown a problem that we cannot fix. So 
like if I see like, look, we're, I'm looking out the window here, the right on the other side is here's the window. And if, if I see someone like riding their bike and crash, I can go and help them. Right. But if I see a video of someone crashing their bike a hundred miles away, I can't go and help them. Even though they need help, I can't, I can't get there. And now there's a spiritual warfare that happens. And because what do I do with my neighbor's need that I can't fix? That impulse is going to go somewhere. And, and now it, it seems to me like the devil takes that into rage. I've been really thinking about like why, why for the first time the, to see the, the evils of war, you had to be there at the front. In, in, in it. So like in World War II, the people in Europe, they saw all these things. You know, people in Pearl, in Pearl Harbor, they saw all these things. But it did, if you, you had to be at the front. In that. But now all the horrors of the vision of war are brought to the whole world. It's on social media. You can watch the GoCo, GoPro videos from terrorists. It's the, why? Now I see that and I can't, I can't do, I, I can't go. I can't do, I can't. So now there's a, a, a spiritual affliction, and I suppose it wants to show up in rage. I, I the, the the way that I it seemed to me like I it wants to show up that I got to go in Twitter and I have to now express my own outrage at this thing, as if that's doing something about it. And now, if if I get shaped by that, if I let that. What 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 do we call this kind of outrage culture that I like? My good work becomes my expression of outrage online. I, I, this is this. There's a there's a spiritual danger there because now I feel good because I've complained about it or whatever. So I have to say, okay, what are the good works in front of me? And if the good works that I, if the need of my neighbor, if I see it but I can't do anything about it, that has to be immediately put into prayer. That's the right place for that. And if I, if I somehow grab a hold of my neighbor's need apart from, uh, apart from prayer, then I'm, it pushes me towards despair and rage because I can't do anything about it. And, it, and the less I can do, the more helpless I feel. And I, I think there's, a, there's a, a, a huge chunk of our own culture that is pressed into this helplessness. And and part of the conspiracy theory is to do that. Like you, there are powers that you don't understand. There are there are forces that you cannot comprehend, and they're bigger than the nation, and they're bigger than corporate corporations. There's a there's a there's a Goliath out there that it is an unseen, unnameable force that is keeping you down. And now the only the only thing to do about that is this rage against the machine, and maybe the Gnostic idea that somehow knowing it sets you free. It's also a lie, and it's very it's very tempting. So so that so what do we do? So what's the way out? Pray for the distant needs and look to the immediate needs, which means that that doing the dishes is a good work, and that we're we are protecting our hearts from always being called into an emergency which destroys vocation and order. It's not PJ O'Rourke who says everybody wants to change the world, but no one wants to help mom wash the dishes. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Of which me. Is, it's a, it's a brilliant quote. I, I just started a book called the wolf in their pocket, which is, uh, and it's the subtitles like um, how those you lead are being 13 ways 
those you lead are being impacted by social media. And I've only gotten through like the introduction part of the first chapter, but one of his points is that now that everyone's an entertainer online, like that's what social media does, makes us, makes everybody an entertainer all the time that you're always trying to see, how, how do I get attention? And I think the answer to this rage problem is that one of the ways you get attention is by being really angry because that gets clicks, it gets views, it gets, right? People, people want to see somebody angry about stuff. Um, someone being calm and, and rational about things that are going on doesn't get, isn't going to get the attention. Whereas someone who's angry, is going to get attention for it. So I think it's even more than just uh, making, making you feel like you've done something about it. I think there's an element, whether they realize it or not, uh, that's how I get attention for it, right? That's how I can get attention for this thing that I'm angry about for myself. I can get attention for myself by being really angry about this thing and letting everyone know how angry I am rather than, you know, like you said, serving in your vocation, praying about it, doing whatever it, it gets you, gets you likes and clicks and views. So it's kind of depressing. That doesn't make me jovial. <laughs> so, all right. You want a different question? Yeah, I do. We, that was, I, I, but that was good to reflect on, I think. So I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, just so people know it's, we didn't pick it because like someone like was calling us out or something. Cause it was a weird thing to call us out for. Like they don't know us. They're calling us apathetic as shepherds, which is weird, but just this idea that you have to be grumpy is something we wanted to, to respond to. Okay. Um, this is from a seminarian. How can I, as a, to be ordained in a year pastor, discern myself, what would be the discerning factor that would make me a false teacher? What should I be careful of? So it sounds like maybe to rephrase those, what can they do as a seminarian to figure out when they're a pastor, whether or not they're a false teacher or not? It sounds like they want to be on guard and be able to evaluate their own ministry <laughs> and look at it and say, I'm being faithful. So what would you tell them? So they're, they're, I think even behind the question and the nervousness for being a true or false teacher is that we we don't know ourselves as well as we ought and we are self-justifying machines so we are we are always at work defending ourselves making excuses for ourselves so forth and so on and and we can do that also with our teaching uh so we want to we're this this is why Paul is talking there's a constraining um instructions that are given to the pastor by Paul explicitly in his letters to Titus first second Timothy I mean so encourage the pastors always to be meditating, especially on those three letters for their own vocation. So give attention, he says, to yourself uh, and to the reading. For by doing so, you will save not only yourselves and those who are uh, who are your hearers. And he talks about the constraining uh, uh, business of the pattern of sound words, so that so that the so that the scriptures and um, also I'd say the Catechism and the Book of Concord gives us the pattern of sound words so we're constrained by these things joyfully constrained by them and and know that when we're teaching the scriptures and the catechism that we're in that that we're safe uh sometimes we can't see our own errors and so we need each other uh to point those out and what that means is that you have to be willing to be corrected which is what it means to be wise. 
So it is very easy to assume a defensive posture toward your own teaching. But we remember that the wise man, Solomon teaches us this, and this is really helpful. The wise man is not the one who gets it right all the time. So wisdom is not being having a perfect knowledge. The, the, Solomon says that the rebuke the wise man and he will thank you for it. That means the wise man first needs to be rebuked, which we all do. So we all need to be rebuked. So to have a willingness to be corrected, that is the that that is the most important thing. So that people know that when you come and tell them, "Oh, pastor, you said that wrong," or "I don't think that matches the catechism," or "I think it's different here in this text," that you will receive that with joy rather than with anger. So as you're as you're cultivating the 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 heart and mind of a pastor and as of a theologian, um, you you want to be able to to in wisdom with joy receive rebuke and correction. Um, now that's not easy, but I think that's the that's what we're after. So that when people see that you're saying something wrong, they know that you want to know it, that you want to be corrected, um, and that's. So I think that's the only way because we can't. Most often, we can't see it in ourselves. I think, in addition to everything you said, um, well, part of that too is, I guess, I'll add ha having friendship with brother pastors who are faithful, who will rebuke you, is helpful, right? Like that's like not just your congregation members, but you have friends who say, "Hey, you said this; that was wrong," and you're willing to humble yourself and say, "Oh, um, yeah, I was wrong." I, th I think that's very helpful. Um, but also I think for pastors, like if we're in the word and for Lutheran pastors, if we're in our confessions and studying those things, it doesn't mean we'll never get things wrong or make, you know, teach something wrong and have to be rebuked, but it at least helps keep us inside the fence of Orthodox teaching. If we're constantly in those things, you're, you're much less likely to go wrong if you're spending a lot of your time in the Bible and the Lutheran confessions and in books that teach sound theology, you're much more less likely than if you're just making it up as you go on your own, uh, which I think is a danger for, for, you know, trying to be clever is always a danger. Trying to do something new, um, trying to do something or say something no one's ever said before. Those are always, <laughs> that's always a bad sign. Like don't ever do something that no one's ever um, taught before in the church as a doctrine. That's probably, probably not the way you want to go. But, um, but you know that though, if you're you're studying these things a lot, um, I think one of the key things is when you get out of seminary to realize there's, you know, I, I read a thing that said how many books you have in your library. Um, the number of books can be helpful because it, it's a constant reminder of things you don't know. I mean, to constantly be reminded of when you come out of seminary, there's a ton I don't know. I've, they've blessed you by giving you a great education in the Lutheran Church, Missouri, Missouri Synod, and, and you've been hugely blessed by that. But come out being humble and knowing I don't know that much like, and make it a goal to keep learning because um, there's always more to learn. You can always be better. So I remember you, when I was, I was reading uh, it early on when I was a baby pastor and I was, I was in Deuteronomy and I was seeing this, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one from the Shema De Deuteronomy six, four. And I thought, I think that's Trinitarian. It says the Lord, our God, the Lord, is one, but I'd never heard anybody say that before. And so I was very uncomfortable 
saying it. So I started to go and hunt down to see if if anyone had had said that before. And I I found it in Chemnitz talking in his Lotzi about the Holy Trinity that these threefold repetitions, like Psalm sixty seven and the and the and the Aaronic benediction in number six and and the Shema in Deuteronomy six were indications of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I said, oh, that, so that that was really nice that you have an idea and then you're just making sure that it's, you're not the, the first one to think of it, uh, the first one to see it. Um, it could be that the Lord would let you see something that nobody else has seen before. That could be true, but it's not likely. So, so we're always want to check these things out. And if it is our own thoughts about this, then we're in some ways testing them. So a lot of times in, in, in Bible class, I'll say, now I've been thinking about this. What do you, you know, I'll, this is just my own thoughts my own reflections. So I, I don't want to bind your conscience to this thing. I want you to help me wrestle with it. So you have a sense of like, here's the things I can confess and here's the things I'm wondering about. And you know, the difference in your own mind. Yeah. Like having a, a very strong pious opinion about something like I'm fairly convinced that uh December 25th is actually Jesus birthday, like based on my own study. Um, but I'm not going to make that like a huge point. It's not like something I'm going to, bind upon people. Um, I think it's interesting. Um, uh, but I, I don't think someone has to believe that to, you know, be saved or to be a good Lutheran. So I, I think it's fine for us too at times to say, in my opinion, I think this, but make it clear that it's our opinion on something that doesn't matter. And like, look, if you want to disagree with me on this, it doesn't matter, but here's why I think this, but if those things that are our opinions become like the center of our ministry, that's a problem too. Like the interesting things that you can go on rabbit trails on, it may be fun and interesting to us, but if they're not benefiting the people, we probably shouldn't spend. <laughs> I'm going to do a 12 week study on why Jesus birthday really is December 25th. That that's probably problematic. If I, if I go that route, um, what, one more thing on this, anyone, one more thing on this too, that, so that, uh, CFW Walter wrote this great little essay on that the sheep judge the shepherd. And he talks about how the congregation is also, um, enlisted in the work of theology and, so we we want to eschew the idea of the expert theologian the pastor every christian is a theologian and the pastor is building up theologians in his own congregation so that that he so that you are a theologian in the midst of theologians and that is very that's helpful because I've got a bunch of people around me that are thinking theologically and that they are, they are in work. We're, so we're working together on this. Your elders, the members of your church, the people that come to Bible study, especially they're they're growing in their own doctrine so that they're able to, they, you're not just like a lone theological expert, the only one doing theology in a sea of people who aren't concerned about these things. So it's just up to you to get it right or wrong. The the more theological the congregation is, the more they know the catechism and confess these things, then the safer the theologian is too. Yeah, you definitely want noble Bereans around you who are searching out the word of God to see if what you said is true or not. Um, that's what they're supposed to be doing, right? Like as pastors, we give thanks when people do that and say, well, I'm not sure about this. And even if we're right, it's good for us to reflect and say, well, let me think about that or uh, let me, did I, could I have said it better or, or whatever it may be? Uh, one last question, childlike faith versus growing in grace. Um, 
Many of the folks in the community he's grown up around will claim that a simple faith is sufficient for their journey towards heaven. Whenever somebody begins to open up the scriptures and ask questions, they tend to freeze up and get uncomfortable while feeling inadequate to answer anything. The pastor even mostly promotes this type of spiritual uh, ascetia. Maybe you could help me gain some ideas on how to lovingly warn them of the dangers here and push them away from um, simpletonism towards a hunger for more theological growth. Thanks. That's a great oof. It has to do with what we were just talking about, how every Christian is a theologian, but most Christians will. So just like the pastor is not, this is the flip side of it. The, the pastor does not think of himself as a theological expert, but uh, a teacher in the midst of theologians. So the Lord's people are to think of themselves as theologians. Um, this is, so to the text that we talked about earlier, Deuteronomy 6, um the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then it says, bind these words on your forehead and on your heart, write them on the door, talk of them when you rise up and when you lie down. So that the 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 expect the Lord's expectation of every Christian is that they are interested in the words of God and in every word of God. It's not the there's a way that uh, there's a there's a way that Christianity becomes a to it's it's like to preserve grace alone we endeavor in this sort of reductionistic thing so because trust in Christ is what saves it makes everything else seem unimportant or almost even dangerous so a lot of Christians have this idea that becoming a theologian is dangerous, and we can admit that there are temptations in becoming a theologian. So I remember back in the old evangelical days, we called going to seminary going to cemetery, because that's where your faith goes to die, because you learn all this progressive, Bible-hating, God-denying nonsense at seminary. Well, you know on those seminaries that's like that's that's not what it means to be a theologian to be a theologian is to grow in the grace and knowledge of god so that so that god through his word is drawing us closer to himself and to his goodness and promises and gifts not away so so i don't know we how, so the question i think is how do we how do we kind of inculcate that attitude in in people and i think maybe to wrap all three of the questions up together, one of, like, as I think, I know what I'm called to do as a pastor, and, and I'm sorting out what it means to be called to, to as a husband and father. That's always kind of a work in progress. But as I, like, as I think, uh, Pastor Packer, like, what what is this thing in doing theology in public? Like, doing this YouTube stuff and having the Wednesday whatnot and and writing books what is what is the what's the goal of that whole thing is that like right at the top is to recover for people the joy of theology because we've made theology into a dry sort of academic lifeless endeavor and that is it's almost a miracle it's like the miracle that the egyptian magicians did like being able to to turn water into blood we've turned the life-giving water of the Lord's word into something that seems cold and dry and dead 
and that is horrific. So that that the Lord is inducing us into the study of his word because it's that word that gives us life. And so, I don't know, how do we recover that? That's the, I don't know, I suppose that's the riddle that, that I'm every day trying to solve on here. How do we, how do we have more theologians? Um, I don't know, your thoughts. I think part of it goes back to what you said earlier, right? Like about being wise. Wisdom is grounded in the word of God. So if you want to be wise, which that's what we're supposed to be striving for as Christians, right? To be wise, then we need to know the Bible. I think the more time people spend in their Bibles, the more they want to know what does this mean, right? Which is what all good theology comes from that question. You're looking at the Bible and you want to know, how do I understand this? How do I apply this? What what does it mean for me? And I think the more time everybody spends in the word of God, the more they're going to want to know, how do I understand this better? How can this, what does this mean for me? You know, not, not, not like in the, you know, the Bible says where they sit around and say, what does this mean to you kind of thing? But what is this text, this random text in Jeremiah that seems to be talking about some horrific stuff that happened to the, to Jerusalem? What does that mean for me and my, my Christian life? What does that mean for me as a student of the word of God? How can I understand it and apply it? Like the more time you spend in the word, I think you, you just, you get a hunger for, for it. That's what Luther says, right? That the Bible's a remarkable fountain because the more one drinks from it, the more one thirsts. So the more you're in God's word, the more you want to know and understand it. And I think that just kind of builds. So like, I think you said, I think it was the last video where being an adult Bible class, right? Like attending those things is good because you're knowing the word of God more, which is going to cause more questions. It's like a, it's an endless cycle. I tell people all the time, even though I've been a pastor for over a decade and teach the word of God all the time, and read through the Bible quite a bit, um, that every time I, I come across stuff all the time that I'm like, huh, I never noticed that. Or it's something I never thought about much. Like all of a sudden a verse hits me um, and I'm like, huh, I never really, I never really noticed that before. Um, I wonder why that's there. You know, like all the time, I, I see that stuff all the time. And it, it makes me want to, it makes me realize I don't know the Bible as well as I should. I don't mm -hmm. know these things as much as I'd like to. So I think just being in the word is probably the best cure for a lack of desire to be a theologian, you know? And, and maybe it's helpful too, to note that, so the Bible, so the Bible is a different kind of book than, you know, we, a lot of people read books. Well, maybe not anymore, but you, you, you the way you read through a, a, like a story or even a nonfiction book is different than the way you read through the Bible. So just to know that when you open up the Bible, something different is happening than when you open up a, like a John Grisham novel, or even when you open up like a a business textbook or something. So the Bible is there to be studied and meditated on in, in a different way. Uh, it expects that you're not just going to open it up and read it and close it, but that there's a continued meditation on the scripture so that we're, we're trying to grab a hold of these things and we're wrestling with them. And in that wrestling with the scriptures, we become we become the Israel of God. I mean, that's what it means to be Israel, is to wrestle with God. And so this is, this is what, what every Christian is called to. Now, to, to get there, how do we entice people there? It could be just that if we ourselves are those who are talking of these things on the way, that we're always ourselves meditating and thinking about these things, that we're just bringing people into that conversation. Like, as you're wondering about a text, like I was thinking about Psalm 38 the other day, 
and how it's a penitential psalm, but it like once or twice mentions the heart, but it's mostly about sickness in the body. And I'm thinking about the conscience in the body and how these things relate to each other. It's connected to Psalm 32. Uh, when I kept silent, my bones groaned within me. So what are the physical effects of, of guilt in the conscience? I'm just, I'm thinking about that and I'm wondering about it. So now whenever I'm t- talking to people, I could just be walking along have you thought of these things? Have, have, I was, I've been wondering about this. I wonder if there's wisdom for us there. So that you, your sort of curiosity and theological work that you're doing, you're just in, you're inviting people to join in there with you, and it starts to kind of catch on. So that that wonder, there's kind of a con, there's a it's like the contagion of curiosity, I suppose. That you're you're inviting people into that conversation, and uh, and then it sort of it grows in that way. Uh, so that might be the easy way to do it is that if we give attention to these things ourselves then 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 because they're on our mind then opportunity becomes for for us to also talk of those and invite other people into that that splendid theological conversation of the scriptures yeah the more the more we can talk about it with one another and, and even right the lady among themselves talking about the sermon they heard or the bible study amongst themselves will increase that hunger and love for those things as well. Definitely. Yeah, that's great. I think that's a, I think that's a good spot to end. All right. Well, thanks everyone for the question. So wolfmuller.co slash contact is where you can send us the questions. Although you can also probably put them in the comments below where their things go crazy. Uh, And um, what, Oh, if, so November the 4th, if you're hanging around Chicago, there's a, uh, a conference that's happening there, biblical worldview conference for such a time as this, discernment, boldness, and compassion. I'm going to give a presentation on the theology of pronouns. John Bombaro will be there, a Christian witness to LGBTQ friends and family. Josh Nielsen, confronting modern heresies in schools and everywhere. Jennifer Korn, gender, solid parenting. Um, Wolfmuller.co, if there's, an, there's an, a, a little like about tab events, and that's kind of upcoming events. Uh, and so you can click on that for all the information. So if you're able to go there, that'd be great. It'd be great to see you face-to-face, November 4th, 2023. Um, I think that's uh, I think that's all. Uh, Pastor, uh, Pastor Packer, any announcements that you've got on your mind? Nope, none at all. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks. God's peace be with you.